Welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algeman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. Today, we welcome Andrell Holloway. Andrell is a highly driven and creative leader with diverse industry experience across publicly traded, private, and public sector entities. He is focused on collaborating with management to help ensure robust internal control environments, strengthen governance, and address organizational challenges. Andrell develops resilient relationships with management and boards based on capability, confidence, and trust. As for me personally, Andrell has been an enormous inspiration and influence in my understanding of scaling management and leadership responsibilities from departmental to organizational levels and beyond. In the public sector world where we got to know each other, seeing Andrell's commitment to helping real people fundamentally changed how I approach my own career. And I'm sure I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. So Andrell, welcome to Data Leadership Lessons. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. So why don't we just get started? Um, just take us through, give us a, a few minutes on your background and career story and kind of what it is that you really do. And, and you know, we'll talk about some data stuff. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. So, so currently I am uh, the audit director uh, for uh, North America for a uh, large um, transportation company here um, in, in the United States. And, uh, my role in leading that department is to really help ensure there's good governance, good internal controls over processes, and fundamentally, you know, something that we can all probably relate to is payroll. How how do we make sure that you know we work our hours, uh, whether we're salary or, or hourly? We want to make sure that we we're, we're paid, you know, for for those hours. So mm -hmm. fundamentally, what I'm looking to do is make sure that there's good process and controls. To make sure that you know everyone's paid in full, timely, et cetera. But more more broadly than that, you know, I, I think it's really helping the organization uh, meet its um, goals and objectives, whatever they may be, operationally, strategically, financially. Uh, for example, I've been at a couple organizations, including a current organization, that's really focused on driving. Um, process efficiency, mm -hmm. uh, driving excellence. And uh, so audit uh, can really contribute uh, from just checking the box and making sure that, yes, payroll's paid on time. But we can also look at a process and step back and say, great, this is how the process is currently designed. Is there is there a better way that we can do it? Co collaborating with management to see, can we automate uh, through systems? Can we uh, pare down a process ultimately to uh, make uh, a process or an activity run more efficiently and uh, save some cost along the way. It's, and, and, and I feel like I, I know you well enough to know what some of your answers are going to be, but I want to ask you the questions anyway, because I think it's so interesting, you know, to expand on the kind of general notion of what audit is. I think audit, it gets probably unfairly bucketed into this like necessary evil category. And there's a lot more to it than that. And, and I think I want to start by asking around more details as to audits role in innovation, because I think there's a huge part to how we validate our data 
in in through audits, you know, because obviously you you spend a lot of time in auditing, looking at data. How do we through that audit function help drive these kinds of improvements that we're always looking to have in our organizations? I mean, like if you listen to any of these episodes, like data leadership's all about all these change management functions, changing, transforming how our businesses work. Sounds a lot like what you were just talking about. How does an auditor contribute to that very directly? I think the, the way that we contribute to it is that, that fundamentally I, I'm not effective in an organization unless I know how that organization ticks, unless I know how processes uh, both should be executed and how they actually are executed within uh, that organization. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of variability. And so I think one way that uh, we play a, a role in innovation is we typically have seen some uh, real issues in, in a particular process that clearly need to, to be addressed, some, some type mm-hmm. of um, gap or delta be, that's wider than what's expected, right, from a standard uh, to what, what the actual condi- uh, current condition is. But beyond that, I think our role is to say, you know, hey, can, can we do things a bit uh, better? And uh, I'll, I'll even talk about innovation uh, from from an, an audit perspective. You know, when, it, when I was at CPS, for example, there are 500 schools uh, and the board really challenged us to uh, both make sure that uh, they had better comfort, that things in schools were operating the way that they should operate, and also uh, to get more coverage across all the, the, the schools that were there. Um, there's no way uh, with uh, even a moderate-sized audit staff that I could audit 500 schools in a three-year cycle. So yeah. we really have to step back and think about what, what can we do. And so there, there are two things that really happened that I, I would say were are uh, innovative uh, for for a school district. Uh, we um, realized that uh, we called CPS a jokingly a not a school system but a system of schools. Where mm-hmm. you had a lot of schools that operated fairly independently from an administrative payroll financial uh, perspective. And so we wanted to sit back and we first started with process standardization. Right? Yeah. If we can make sure that the processes are consistent across the schools, you would assume that there are less errors. Then we figured out that that wasn't really good enough, particularly because uh, governments always need more money. There's always budget deficits. And so we uh, started to really look at something that was innovative, I think, in public um, school districts, and that's to implement a shared services center. And so audit was a big part of looking at those processes and saying, what could we strip out of the schools and put into an existing shared services center, but a, a much higher, a, a much more scaled, if you will, sh- uh, shared services center. And so what it allowed the district to do is make other financial decisions around how those schools operated because we're able to extract some of these processes out, have assurance that they were being performed consistently, um, and uh, again, gave them freedom to, to make other decisions a- around uh, the staff that was previously performing that work. Now, from an audit perspective, I feel like it was also uh, created an opportunity for us to innovate in audit because I now had the ability to look at a lot of these transactions in real time. Uh, and I could look at them uh, uh, continuously. Uh, we call it continuous auditing, continuous monitoring, but I knew that these transactions should happen with more predictability. And we're able to uh, bring in a capability where we uh, essentially created a daily data dashboard. 
and we looked at say 20 types of transactions and we knew what was sort of um, good, not so good, and, and really something that needed to be looked at. So we simply came back with a, a red, yellow, green sort of uh, uh, indication that says that, hey, these schools have some issues. And mm-hmm. if it's red, maybe we need to audit, we need to call or, or uh, otherwise take action. So um, it, it helped, uh, in my opinion, from an innovative uh, innovation perspective, because again, schools are operating more effectively, less costly, the district could pull some cost out if it wanted to, I'm able to go back to the board and say, hey, I'm not auditing more schools physically, but I'm auditing and looking at almost all schools virtually. Mm-hmm. And I can give you a better sense what your risk level is uh, with less cost. Oh, man, there's so much to unpack here. There's it, it's <laughs> but it like I can promise you first, somebody who's listening to this show will have said Oh man, that is exactly what I do. We just don't call it auditing. We don't call it internal audit. Like it's exactly what we talk about all the time in the data space because you're literally like you're looking at all the data, you're you're identifying opportunities to improve the actual operations and then you you're suggesting exactly how you think they might be able to improve things. It's like that's exactly what data leadership is all about. Literally, like that is literally the definition of what we talk about with data leadership. And so it's it's amazing because this is so new to a lot of people. They're like, you know, a lot of folks don't have the um, the opportunity to interact with uh, auditors except in the role of just providing them some data upon request. Like that's the interaction that many of us in the, in the data community uh, tend to have. But I kind of go back to... You know, one of the first things you said, you know, uh, about audit, which is, you know, how you are there to confirm that what is actually happening is what is supposed to be happening. Like, like we are all about, like, when you think about like data governance and stuff, we think about like, oh, we're here, we're going to create some policies and we're going to enforce that or whatever. How are we going to enforce that? That's a thing we don't talk a lot about in data governance. We're like, well, if it's in a policy, people should be doing it. How how's that go? Like people don't do that just because it's written in a document somewhere. They put it on SharePoint where no one can ever find it again. And if they do find it, they don't have access to it. Like that doesn't get things done. And and so I think that where you do in audit actually is so much more important than I think people realize because that's that elastic between the policy and the actual activities that are happening in the organization. When you talk about a place like CPS, Chicago Public Schools, when you talk about something like that, you realize when you start looking at data, there's so much opportunity to find where things aren't necessarily in alignment with even people's intentions. They would like to be following that policy, but without data, they don't have the visibility into it. So so what are some of your thoughts on on kind of that broad view of, of audit as such a core component of data governance that people may not be seeing? Uh, You're you're absolutely right. Fundamentally, you know, our role is to to confirm that management. So so let me step back and and, and think about how I would plan out my audit year, Mm -hmm. Uh, because a lot of folks have probably participated in in these types of conversations where you're you're talking with a lot of folks in management. You're doing what we call a risk assessment. And we're basically saying, hey, this, this is the risk profile for the organization. And, um, you know, that risk profile could have 50 risk, right? But, you know, or more, we can't audit 50 risk. And so mm-hmm. what we will then do is say, well, what are the top 
10, 15 risk. And, 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 and from my perspective, we really have three ways that we can uh, approach, uh, say, auditing or reviewing or having some impact on uh, those uh, uh, top uh, 10 risk. And the first one is doing some type of validation activity. The second one is doing some type of advisory activity. Or the third one is really just sitting back and waiting and expecting management to provide some type of of reaction to that uh, in, in, in say an enterprise risk management sort of um, uh, component or, or or space. And so what you're talking about is that validation piece. So management said, yes, this is a top 10 risk. We think we're controlling this risk very, very well. Great, I wanna give you some assurance that the policy says X and they're executing according to that, that policy. And a lot of times you see drift away from the policy uh, for, for a number of reasons. It, it could be that um, sometimes policies, believe it or not, simply aren't communicated. <laughs> there, there could be transitions uh, on teams and, and people just start picking up a practice that the, their predecessor uh, had implemented, which again, drifted away from the policy. And so that is what's fundamentally basic about audit is to say, you expect X to happen and X is happening. Mm -hmm. And if not, here are the deltas and here's why. And, and that's a, another important piece. A good auditor is not just going to tell you that you have this deviation, but we need to understand what is causing that deviation. Is there something that has changed that requires the policy to change? Is there something mm -hmm. that um, is absent in terms of a skill set of capability? Is there a system limitation? And so, that's the value of a good auditor to have that conversation to help management say, okay, A, I understand, uh, B, I understand, I understand the issue, I understand the impact mm -hmm. and, and the risk uh, that's presented and, and what action needs to needs to happen. And hopefully when I write up that recommendation, management's fully on board and, and they, they take some action and, and, and come back. But let, let's take another scenario where there is a risk where uh, I go to management and it, it's not the scenario where they're like, we got it, you know, policies in place, and that's where I do the validation. Sometimes management will say, you know, you're, you're right, that, that risk is, um, you know, clearly in the top 10. Mm -hmm. I don't think we do a very good job of managing that, and we haven't really been able to get our hands around that. And so that's where audit can step in in a advisory role and really just sit back and work with the management to, to really evaluate and think through that risk, think through what are some ways that you could uh, address that risk and work with them and, 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 and move it forward. And then finally, there could be that third piece where management feels that uh, there's either a problem or there, there's not a problem. Audit's role is simply to say, hey, management, I want to have a conversation with you in Q2 about this particular risk. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a conversation at some point. Leadership has probably already set some expectations for how they're going to manage that risk. And I'm just going to come in there, perhaps have a conversation and really go from there. And, and that that may be it at the end of the day. Yeah. The risk management piece of all of this, I think, is something that is it's so embedded in everything that an auditor does. And I don't know that that's as well understood by you know the general population of non-auditor folks um as as it should be so i think that's i think that's extremely helpful and i i, I have a couple different lines of questioning and kind of take it in and what what order you think makes the most sense is is i'm curious your thoughts 
on both like what makes for well-written policy, especially for those organizations that are trying to become more quantitatively oriented. Cause like, obviously from an audit perspective, you've kind of talked about how, you know, when you have data that you can leverage as an auditor reliably, it gives you so much more coverage of being able to understand what's really happening. And so like understanding how good policy and how good data capture may, may lead to better risk management functionally like because I, I i often talk about like i nobody really cares about data governance they care about the outputs of data governance like i don't think anybody is like oh we got to get that auditing except for the fact that the auditing leads to some conclusion some improvement of risk management or, or, or opportunities as a business to get better at something um that's the thing people care about and so then their solution is to oh we we need to improve our auditing capabilities and so the one piece is like what makes for good policy how do you write good policy and then the second piece comes back to, you know, when you're working with data in, in this risk management capacity, um, how do you distill what's important? How do you find um, the truth as an auditor versus, you know, a concern that leadership may have their their finger on the scale, you know, as they say, like, like bias based on a preconceived notion is always concerning when it comes to data. Um, I had a, a, a recent podcast uh, episode where I introduced this term uh, that I hadn't heard before, but I think it really makes sense is that a lot of these organizations out there today, they talk about wanting to be data driven, which is great. We want to be data driven, but they go off and do whatever they want anyway. And then they, when they're done, they go back and say, well, here's data to support it. And it's not data driven at that point. It's, it's data justified. You went and you picked the data to justify what you did anyway. That's not what we're talking about here. What we want to do is get to the truth. We want to get to the answers and we, then we want to drive future activities based on our understanding of that data and understanding of the truth. So in, in my mind, audit really lives in that place is like, how do we understand what the truth really is when we know Policies aren't perfect. People aren't implementing them well. So how can we treat it on either side? How can we understand, you know, the policy and what's good to, to um, consider when we're crafting policy? And then how do we make sure when we're analyzing that data from an audit perspective, how do we keep from introducing unintentional bias? Gotcha, gotcha. When I when I think of uh, what makes a good policy, um, it, you know, I talk about a couple of attributes related to it, but I but I think that there's a couple things that are really important beyond the policy that makes the policy more effective uh, and makes the policy more likely to be followed within an organization. So, you know, w when I look at a policy, the, the first thing that, that I think any author of a policy, uh, drafter of a policy should uh, step back and think about is what are we intending to communicate? What are the objectives? What are we trying? What, what's the outcome we're trying to get to for a particular process? What are the objectives for that process? And, and, and be very clear about how to achieve those outcomes. Uh, what is the process uh, that uh, should be followed consistently to drive to that uh, outcome? Uh, I think some other attributes within uh, that policy, you know, what, what systems, you know, are, are, are to be used, you know, when something should be done, who should uh, do it. Um, and, you know, also look at it from a control perspective, you know, how are you making sure that it's getting done so we can write controls that actually a lot of people probably see policies that have statements in there that I can read and I can say, okay, that's 
a control. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a sort of a primary or key control. That's a secondary control. And I think people are naturally writing this because they, they're saying, how do I make sure this goes right? That's, that's a control, right? Mm-hmm. How do I make sure it goes right? And how can I check to make sure that it went right is, is, is a control. So I think that's what I think about it in, in terms of a policy. What are we trying to achieve? What's the expected outcome? How are we going to get there through what system? Who's going to do it? And at what interval, et cetera. Um, but I think what also causes policies to fail is that sometimes that's where policies end. There's a lot of change management and communication that really needs to happen to really make that policy um, active within the organization. You know, how are we identifying who are the people that need to know the policy? Who are the people that are impacted directly and, and indirectly? What changes do we need to make to make sure that that policy uh, is actually um, uh, implemented? Uh, and, 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 and I should have said this, I'll, I'll go all the way back to the start. Those same people that are directly or indirectly impacted by the policy should have been consulting early on when that policy was being drafted because they sure. probably have some insights on the practice, et cetera. Uh, and, and then in terms of when I come in to audit that policy, you know, I'm looking for some indicators that would uh, help me provide evidence that the activity uh, happened. You know, it could be something as simple as a, a sign off to say that, um, you know, payroll was reviewed or uh, something uh, within a system that uh, would flag something happening once it hit a certain criteria. And, and, and I think in a lot of folks' uh, world, when you hear things like key performance indicators, when you hear things like performance management, those same types of indicators, those same things that you're looking for to say something is going off the road or not, that's the same type of indicator that, that I'm looking for. And then what I then do is look for evidence that it actually occurred. Can I see evidence in the system? Can I see a sign off on an invoice? Can I see, uh, 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 for example, things that are, that are less sort of uh, cut and dry? So, for example, if we're looking at a loan loss reserve uh, and there's some judgment, there's not some judgment, there's a lot of judgment in terms of, what drives that sort of reserve change? Should we increase it by a million? Should we increase it by, you know, uh, 10% or whatever the, the, the factor is? And so I'm looking at the documentation, the analysis of that um, evaluation. You know, what are some internal factors? What are some external factors, uh, 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 sort of economic factors, whatever it may be that drives that decision? So ultimately, I am looking for to your point, tangible evidence that is directly related to that activity as opposed to something that sort of justifies an activity that happened, you know, post-activity. You're looking for that that sort of, you know, what, what makes it right versus what was something that was sort of direct evidence. And, um, you know, the, the, the one thing, I, I, I had this question posed to, to, to me before, and I, and I think it's something that, particularly when you get into these sort of judgmental subjective areas, uh, someone asked me, well, how do you audit what's great? Uh, you know, and uh, I um, told them, you know, it. it I'll, I'll sort of throw it back on you. How do you justify what's great if you're the CFO, if you're the controller? And the way that I would look at it is to say that, uh, you know, sometimes two plus two isn't four, right? <laughs> sometimes two plus two is you know, uh, 4.5 or, or something. There's something that that's changed, particularly over the last year, for example, when you look at 
how the market changed uh, uh, and impacted contracts and companies with significant sales declines, significant uh, business volumes and different things like that. But the way that I look at it, and, and I would think about this from an audit lens, is that, um, you know, it's either two point, you know, two plus two equals four, which is very clear, everyone can agree to, right? Or it could be that there's something that explains why it's off. And if I can say that out loud in a room full of people, I feel like that it may not be, um, it, 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 it may not be exactly four, it, it may be 4.5, but whatever it is, is something that generally speaking, folks can agree with, because if I can say it in a loud, in a loud mm -hmm. room, it's either right, it's gray, but it's not wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's another way, I don't know if that's coming across quite clearly, but that's another way that I kind of look at evidence is that if I can talk and support that evidence in, in a room full of my peers, right? Mm -hmm. Now I feel like I have good evidence that really supports that that activity is happening and, and happened the way that it that it was it would be expected to happen by a uh, reasonable person, if you will. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and and I think it highlights something that is easy for us to forget about sometimes too, and that is like data is often not ones and zeros in its uh, analysis. It, it, there is often gray. There is often middle ground. And, and you can kind of throw in any example of, of that. And it's, um, it's pertinent because and that's where I think the risk management, when we think about it in terms of risk management, it's a lot easier to internalize um, because we want to think of data as, as ones and zeros. Um, but it's, it's, really not always completely clear. I think about, I, I had some electrical work done at the house uh, not too long ago and I had an inspection done and the inspector came out to see how we ran the wires and, and how the circuit was hooked up and stuff. And he, he's like, had a couple questions for me and I wasn't the electrician, but I remembered having the conversations or whatever. I was able to say, Oh yeah, they said that we needed to do it this way or, or whatever. He's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's cool. And he wasn't there to like, I was scared. I was literally, literally scared. I haven't done a whole lot of work around my house. I was scared when the inspector was coming from the village to like, take a look at all this work. I'm like, did I just waste a ton of money? What was going to happen? And, and I was worried that he was just coming there to cause me pain. And then when I interacted with him, he was like, no, he's, he was there to make sure he didn't burn down my house. You know, like that was the thing that he was there to do is to make sure that it was done appropriately within some guidelines, but he wasn't there to try to catch me on something. And I think that's an yeah. important, um, thing for people to remember too is that auditors are not there just to make your life harder they're there to help and that involves you know some give and take more than more than people might necessarily think i i, I absolutely agree and, and, and i am a firm believer in uh relationship-based auditing if you will so again uh you know, as you know, I started a, a new role recently, and, and, and what I am doing is reaching out to a number of the leaders across the organization at the at the uh, sort of SVP level and two or three layers down. And I'm doing it for, for two reasons. Number one, I, I, I want to understand more about risk from their perspective. You know, I'm asking them, for example, you know, if you could change two or three things in the organization, I don't care if they're in your area of responsibility or not, what, what would they be? That starts to help me get a sense of um, their mindset, but also broader risk across the organization. Yeah. Uh, but a, another key piece there is that the first time that leadership should uh, meet 
an audit should not be the first time the leadership meets the auditor, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it takes away that sort of stigma that, that, that you're talking about yeah. there. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know who the team is before we engage with you during an audit, because it's exactly that, that, you know, we're here to help make sure this organization is ultimately successful. And, uh, you know, the, the days of gotcha auditing or, you know, I'm paid by the finding type of auditing, you know, is gone. Um, I, I would argue that a metric that I use uh, in, in terms of how effective we are as an audit team is how many times do I get a knock uh, virtually or otherwise on my door from management to say, hey, I, I have a question. Uh, can, can we talk about this? Or, hey, there's a meeting where we're talking about a new system that we're thinking about. Can audit, mm -hmm. you know, send a representative to the meeting? That's when we're starting to engage. That's that relationship-based auditing that, that, that I am uh, referring to. And, and, and the other, I think, uh, value, the other thing, the value that that provides is that when we do an audit and we do have an issue, uh, it could be an issue that's significant. It could be a high-risk issue that needs to be remediated immediately. Uh, it could be something that could either be uh, costly or something that could be really frustrating to the organization. Um, I think it allows me, um, because of that relationship, to speak with uh, uh, the firmness that I need as an auditor and uh, in, in the conviction that I need as an auditor, but also for them to have sort of trust that, you know, hey, I'm here to help this organization and therefore I'm here to help you. So I, I always say we're big boys and girls. Let's address the issue. Hmm. <laughs> let's agree to the issue. Let's address the issue and let's really move on. And, and that, I think, really helps the organization uh, get past the risk issues. And, and to your point, you know, uh, we're here to, to, to make the business not make the business, to help the business be uh, successful by looking at these risks, look at the threats to uh, them not having or achieving that success. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I was just, I was thinking, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about the audit perspective, which I think is unique. And, and I'm, and I'm glad that we've kind of dived into a lot of that, but for the remainder of this, um, I want to, because when I think of, of, of you and we've known each other for six, seven years, at least now. Um, and when I think of you, I know you, your function, the thing that you do is auditing by trade. Like that's where you grew up. That's, that's big focus of what you do, whatever role you're in. But I don't think of you as auditor first. I think of you as senior leader first. I think of you as an executive first. And I'd like to understand your perspective as an executive, as a person who's worked in a number of, of large organizations and very senior roles. Um, you know, you've always struck me as a person who has this leadership quality and being able to like bring together significant numbers of people in, 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 in a shared mission. And I really want to dive a little bit into that. And so let's start by, you know, take off the audit hat and say, as a senior leader, what data do you look at? What, what are the things that you want to think about, even just in your own management responsibilities? What are the kinds of things that you as a senior leader today find yourself working with regularly from a data perspective? Yeah, I, I think some of it starts with the, the same basic information that uh, you would likely expect. You know, we're looking at, you know, how are we performing, you know, year to year, quarter to quarter. You know, you're looking at uh, uh, budget to actuals and, 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 and different things like that. So I think from a quantitative perspective, uh, it's, it's a lot of the, the same types of information. But I, I think the other thing that I 
am really interested in is, is, is you know, when you think about uh, uh, performance management or, or, or key performance indicators, you know, I, I love looking for that type of information around the organization because what I feel that it does, um, it starts to tell me something that could be going uh, astray before we see it on a quantitative basis, perhaps. Yeah. And so uh, that's where I really uh, live, uh, if, if you will. Uh, and I, I think it's also uh, something that really drives me. I, I, I like looking for challenges. Mm -hmm. I like looking for a, a problem, quite honestly. And so, you know, I'm looking for, a dat uh, for data. I'm looking for information that's telling me that, hey, here's something that is either, you know, clearly, you know, going wrong or something that is inefficient or something that uh, you know could has the potential to cause some organizational issues. Uh, the the other thing that I uh, really believe in is people. You know, and as a leader, I look at it both internally and externally, sort of within uh, the the department, if you will. So um, externally, uh, getting back to what I said before. I, I need to develop relationships with management. Yeah. They need to know who I am. They need to know why I'm there. They need to know that I'm not just here, you know, with the auditor hat to your point. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I have the audit hat. I, 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 I'm comfortable in the audit hat. I'm much more comfortable in that sort of advisory and less collaborate type of hat and so, uh, or role. And so mm -hmm. that's why I get out there and I talk with, with, uh, with management because they're going to come to me. Um, and sometimes they're going to come to me probably before they even go to perhaps their boss <laughs> or whoever they report into because they're probably looking for help to say let let's let's get a handle on this or that that uh, same thing you know if you bring me a problem also bring me a solution they're probably looking for me to help them solution and and, and then uh, real quickly and and, and finally uh, on, on this topic at least internally. I'm a big believer in my team <laughs> in terms of having a team. I, I cannot deliver on uh, audits, goals, and objectives singularly by, mm -hmm. by myself. So I am a firm believer in building um, strong teams, teams that feel like that they have the uh, uh, ability to, to execute on what they, what they need to do. I, I am by no means a, a micromanager. I want to enable uh, my team to be successful and and be there to support them when they have a challenge, be there to um, catch them, hopefully, you know, before they, they fall down and something happens, but also to support them in conversations with leadership, but particularly when there's challenging conversations. And, and I feel that when I do that, I get teams that also perform uh, much more uh, at a much higher level performance-wise uh, than, than others. So I really, really value uh, having a team and developing a team and uh, letting the team know that, you know, I have their back in the organization, but also, you know, we have a job to do and we're going to do it well. Yeah. And and just hearing you talk about that and, and reflecting back to the times that we've worked together, I'll add a couple other things that I've observed in, in the way you act and, and kind of correspond to some of the things that you're talking about is that, you know, one, I don't think I've ever heard you say that's not an audit problem or that's not our area. Like if there's a problem to be solved, you're interested and you're first hands on trying to run some numbers. And it's, there is that common thread of like being a data person allows you to pull on that thread and investigate something on your own. Like you, if you have data, if you have a big set of data and an Excel spreadsheet or some other tool to do analysis, you can start to figure out answers 
on your own. And there's something to be said for that. The other thing is that I would definitely echo your, your ability to bring um, together strong teams and, and all of that. I don't have much more to, to add on that, except for the fact that obviously in the roles that you've had, like comes with the territory, you're very busy, all, you know, a lot of chaos, things are always happening, but I always found you had this ability to be in the moment and always have time for the important stuff. If somebody needed your help or, you know, to your point around having people's backs and really being there for your team, that was also something that I observed that, you know, you have a, a very strong ability to make that human connection and you're doing it with everyone around you. It's not just working with the other senior leaders, but it's everybody on your team or everybody that you can help is that you would always have that time to learn and understand and find how you can grow from that interaction as well as how can you help that person in that moment. And, and those were things that I observed that I took with me in my career as we've gone on different paths after the last you know, five or six years, but still resonates with me today and something that that you have influenced. So I want to say thank you for that because you showed me how to do some of these things in ways I hadn't seen uh, quite the same way before. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So and and we have very little time left, but I, I want to talk a little bit more just knowing that you've spent a fair amount of time in the public sector and we did some work together in the public sector and, and the uh, data is everywhere. And I think a lot of folks who haven't spent time in the public sector don't realize just what a rich environment, not just of having a ton of data, but the innovation with data in the public sector space I'll put up against any industry. And a lot of it is because of like the public level accountability of things and, and all of that and the freedom of information and all of those kinds of things. I want to talk a little bit about like the role of data in the public sector, especially when it comes to what you've seen with open data, either in the, the education space or in the transportation space. Um, you know, where do you see that role of data today and, and how is it evolving from your vantage point? Yeah, I, 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 I think that there's a lot of, places to your point in public sector where data can can, can play a role and uh, you know I, I I would say that the same way so if I look at uh, Chicago Transit Authority now this is something that is uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of folks there have thought about it or continue to think about it you know they think about the the, the CTA service that's provided now is fixed uh, route services uh, very predictable uh, we know in the morning, in, in the uh, uh, on the morning rush, the afternoon rush, and probably sometimes in between, you're going to have buses that are absolutely packed, trains are absolutely packed, and um, other times they're not. Uh, but they're still running on that same predictable sort of service. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, a great source of, of data to say, can we start thinking about on-demand sort of transportation, if you will, uh, and balancing some of the other uh, downsides of that, you know, uh, along the way, because I feel like fundamentally, um, you know, when you're in the public sector, uh, because of public dollars being involved, uh, you you have a, a fundamental fiduciary responsibility to always be looking for a way to uh, streamline service, uh, um, provide the service that you need to provide at the least possible uh, cost uh, uh, simply because of the dollars that are at stake and the public dollars that are driving, you know, those services. So yeah, it, it could be something that's painful to implement. Uh, it could be something that could lead to 
uh, a loss of of, of, of of some jobs and, and nobody mm-hmm. wants to lose their job. But, you know, in the public sector, I think that we have that that obligation, that responsibility to, to, to do it. And so I, I think to your point with, you know, data uh, being there, I think there's also the opportunity in the educational space to, you know, just, just look at, you know, how um, students are sort of dispersed across the city and, and, and where are there ways that we can uh, just figure out to, to, to sort of, you know, save cost in, 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 in different ways. You know, you can go to some schools and they're absolutely packed, uh, mm-hmm. not to compare them to the CTA example, but some schools are absolutely packed and some schools that are, uh, you know, really a shell of their, their former selves. And so you have to think about it from the perspective of if their school is absolutely packed, they probably have much more diversity in terms of the uh, types of classes uh, uh, that are uh, provided, uh, the, uh, the quality of some of the extracurricular activities, uh, the experience socially that, they're, that they have in that environment versus this other school that's maybe 10, 20% of the capacity. So okay. you take the financial sort of responsibility um, uh, to, to, to basically manage public sector costs you also have to look at this more from a qualitative perspective. Are we providing the best education that we can, you know, with the ways that schools are 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 sort of um, uh, with how students are distributed across schools? But you also get into very social economic issues and challenges and things of that sort. But mm-hmm. I, I think the data is there. Uh, I think we have to have the courage. <laughs> I think to act on that data, we have to have the courage to do what it tells us uh, to do. Um, People may hate us now; they'll love us in the future. Uh, I say us. I'm not in the public sector anymore, but I, that 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 is what I I, I think uh, is is needed, and that's why uh, the the best job I've had in my life thus far has been in the public sector. The most rewarding uh, uh, work I've ever done has been in the public sector because of what we're talking about, because of yeah. the ability to and the responsibility to. Uh, look at things quantitatively and and, and qualitatively and, and how it impacts people. Yeah, I mean, you really can't replace the connection that you feel when you're helping people for real, like where you can draw that line of sight. The work I'm doing here is making education better for for our kids or, or providing people a, a way of, of moving around and getting to work and getting to their family and things like that. And and that I think especially coming out of this pandemic, hopefully things are, are right, um, are, are getting better and, and we're on the right path there. Um, but I think a lot of people may have in mind, um, you know, wanting to do something that's more meaningful and, and having that opportunity in the public sector. It can certainly be a thankless job at times, but it is <laughs> it is rewarding in, in different ways. And that gets you through it. And, and there's a lot of, of, of good that comes from that. And so um, I, I'm glad we got to talk about it, even just for a couple of minutes. I think functionally, the audit piece is so um, interesting to our, our profession of data management folks and, and, and data leaders out there. But I do think that having that opportunity to, to speak a little bit about the public sector, certainly worthwhile. And hopefully it sparks some interest in folks out there uh, that are trying to figure out what they're doing in their career. You know, don't dismiss the public sector because you think it's old and boring or whatever. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. And there's some different um, mechanisms in terms of the the value that you get in your career and and being in that place. So I certainly appreciate hearing that. Um, So we are all out of time at this point. And and I feel like we could talk for another hour or two and and maybe we'll have an opportunity to have you back at some point again in the future. But I really appreciate you doing this. This has been um, 
awesome content. I think it's it's unique and, and is going to um, really help a lot of folks out there. So thank you again for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. And thank you all out there for watching or listening today. In the show notes, you'll find useful links and more information about today's topic. Follow Data Leadership Lessons on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Check out my book at dataleadershipbook.com and use promo code ALGMANDL at the Dataversity Training Center for 20% off your first purchase. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 